Return to Northmore, Episode 5, Running Time, 40 Minutes. Welcome to the Return to Northmore podcast. I'm Kim. And I'm Tim. And tonight we're going to be discussing some clips from actual play from our second session. This is the first session with all four of our group, which will later be reduced again to three. But for a while, we had four. And and we will have four again. Yes. So for now, this is the first session of all four of us, and there will be a few of these with this particular group. And Wick, if you're listening, we miss you. Yes. So the tone of this session is considerably different than the tone of the last session. First of all, we are missing our party crasher, the 10-year-old. Well, yeah, there is that. And uh, And Doctor Who. Yes, no Doctor Mm, Who. David Tennant. (laughs) However, we will hear a bunch of interesting music at the beginning, uh, supplied by DJ Wickedwick. That is a little odd, but it's sort of like that music that you hear before a concert. It's music that we play as we're getting warmed up, but before we really sort of, you know, hit the stride. So just take note of that and excuse it for what it is. Sometimes it takes a little bit to get us in the mood of playing. Yes. Let's go ahead and set up the first clip. It is the actual introduction of the entire real Northmore area. So what you're going to be listening to is Tim's description to the characters of what they see as they come off of the river. So they're going to be looking over the entire lost village and the environs. Here you go. As you come over a hill heading down the river here, you see the valley that contains the whole Northmore area spread out before you. Down below is the tree cover canopy that is the bog, and you can see the steam rising off of it from various gases and such that come up. It's not a particularly hot place most of the time. In fact, it's cold and chilly, which is why it's a more not a swamp. However, there are all sorts of nasty gases that rise up from it and so forth. You see the smoke coming from the houses in the Lost Village that are just on this side of the bog. And you can see the delta that spreads out from the river and enters the bog in a very wide, sandy spread. In this next clip, Tim is explaining to the characters why the river has its end at the Lost Village. And as you will hear, a large reason is because the end is a huge bog that is not navigable by the rafts. The raft, in fact, that you guys had gotten stuck behind previously had stopped at the last village, and that was its terminal stop. It wasn't going to go any further. Is this the end of the line? This is the end of the line. Yeah. Unless you want to sail into the bog, which no one ever does. Right, as I say, do only teeny tiny vessels go into the bog. Right, no, the big rafts can't be in there because it gets really shallow and sandy. Do they get bogged in? We are now going to hear about the Hole in the Water Inn, which is going to be a character place throughout our adventure. The Hole in the Water Inn serves two roles. It is a character of itself in that the characters get to know it over time. They're introduced to it. Many of the people that they know and interact with spend time on the Hole in the Water Inn. In addition, it serves as a sort of mobile home base kind of like the Partridge family bus, if you will, in that wherever they go, the Hole in the Water Inn sort of can go along with them. You can't hear it, but there's an eye roll. So anyway, the Hole in the Water Inn is, serves the role that we talked about in our very first episode, which is that one of the tropes of D&D that we really wanted to kind of capture here is that home base aspect. 
And rather than having the Lost Village be that home base, although it may turn out that way in the end, I wanted to have something that was a little more portable so they didn't feel like they had to come all the way back to the village to do it, while it had to be big enough to have multiple NPCs there to interact with and such. So it's an interesting compromise slash solution to a issue. As a character, I would like my home base to be a little bit better defendable, though. True. The hole in the water in, not so defensible. Although there's lots of alcohol on it most of the time. And really, isn't that all you need in a home base? No, no, not so much. It'd be nice to have walls. Hmm. Something to be said for that. Here's the clip. As you pull up into the stone dock next to the large raft, this is a two-story raft, and you have recognized it from previous trips. Uh, it is the Hole on the Water Inn, run by hey. a halfling. His name is Renar. Renar is a retired adventurer of sorts. He, for a while, ran around with some other folks and tried to find some lost treasures at the behest of the king, and he was pretty well known for quite a while as a solver of problems and fetcher of treasures and so forth. He hung up his sword and has bought himself this portable inn, which he floats up and down the river to various spots, depending on where the hot spots are. And it's actually been docked here in the Lost Village for about three months. Waiting for the wet season to go back upstream. Right, for it to be high enough that he can pull himself <laughs> back up the river. So on the map here, we have the two rafts. You guys pull in and dock. The hole in the water here is two stories. This back half is too high, and it looks just like this under here. The second tier is where the action is. The first tier is kind of where people just come in, get a drink, and leave. But this is the party spot. That's where the college kids go. Right. <laughs> That's where the drinking and the partying and the bottles that get thrown off the top. Here we hear about a little bit of the socioeconomic status of the area, as well as how these outposts are actually manned, which is by conscripts. I wanted to introduce this element that the main city, which is a character that we really haven't heard so much about up to this point, is something that's far off, it's far removed from the picture, it's something that sort of everybody knows about but nobody really cares about, is imagine if you're in a fort in the 1800s in Kansas and you're talking about what's going on in Washington, D.C. Everybody knows it's there, everybody knows it's important, but it's not really something that makes a difference in the daily lives of everyone. Because I didn't want necessarily at this point when these characters are this level to have them really caring about sort of national events. Well, and it also makes it very difficult to give the characters a reason to stay in the small village. Immediately, the impetus is to go to the big city so that you can make more money and get better magical items. And so there's many reasons to stay here in the Lost Village, not to mention the fact that there's treasure here, adventure here, work here, people they know here, that sort of thing. But I try to make it so that this far-off city isn't necessarily an attractive place right now. As the king's army again got smaller, the economy started tanking, so he didn't have so much money to pay soldiers to be stationed out here. It became, yeah, they had more important things to spend their money on, like defending the main city. They started conscripting people to head out and work at the outpost. And so a lot of the people you guys worked with uh, were starting to be conscripts when you last left. And they tended to only be like a one-year service sort of thing. So it wasn't too terribly bad. And a lot of the young people that came up to serve ended up staying and didn't want to go back. On the other hand, many did. So we're going to hear now the very beginning of the actual adventure. And this is where the players have the option of following Finnan, as we discussed in our 
prior episode and where the GM has the option to try to divert them from doing it. You can see that in this case, the players were partially successful as well as Tim being partially successful in diverting us from our original plan. I will admit that when I originally wrote this uh, before the clip you're about to hear, I never even thought for a moment that they would try to follow Finnan. Why not? I honestly thought that you'd get off the boat, I'd say, everything's unloaded and there's beer. And you'd all be like, beer, and then head for that and have no concept that you need to follow him. Did you not read or listen to any of the character backgrounds? Oh, I did, and I knew you were all, you know, spies and such, but I also figured that you hated Finnan so much you could care less what happened to him. But I like my pay. And I underestimated everyone's greed, I believe, is what happened. Hmm. Greed versus gluttony. What happened is I had to scramble. And the characters, I don't think, necessarily noticed so much that I was scrambling. I thought I did a pretty good job. But now that I'm going to tell you that I'm scrambling, I want you to listen for it and hear how much I'm going, oh, no, no, he, he don't follow him. Really, don't follow him. Okay, we're following him. Oh, okay, well, he's only going to go five feet. <laughs> nice one. And then I said, well, you can kind of see the warehouse from the bar. And, and so this is one of those where I didn't want to say, no, you can't follow him because that would have gotten me nowhere. Then we would have definitely followed him. Oh, absolutely. But instead, I wanted to make following him as uninteresting as possible compared to the alternative, which was sitting and drinking, which is what I'd hoped you'd do. In other words, you used obfuscate. (laughs) And no, I'm going to leave my pants on. Uh, Yes, listen to the podcast regarding um, the use of burning wheels, obfuscate, and pants. Anyway, the key here is that I scrambled and I somehow managed to keep them from tratting about the town and everything else, which would have completely ruined the setup. Not for long, though. One last thing, I do apologize for all of the clicking that you will hear during this next clip. Unfortunately, Wick was a little nervous this day for a long, long pile of reasons and uh, was clicking his dice together almost incessantly. I did the best I could to uh, tone it down, but I apologize if it's too annoying. All right, so... You have pulled the Blackwater Cat into the dock here, and you've spent the last hour unloading it. And Finden has been insistent that you unload every one of the boxes on here into the warehouse that is just down the street. Normally, he lets things stay on the boat, and as people come to pick up their purchases, he'll just give them to them right off the raft. So it was a little odd that he made you unload absolutely everything on there. All that's left is just some trash and such on the deck. He's in the process now negotiating the sale of the timber of the raft itself. Apparently, this is it. He's going to sell the raft. You're not terribly surprised, but at the same time, it's kind of shocking that it's actually really happening. Don't care, don't care. So what happened to the crate that had the box that held the coin? You unloaded it into the warehouse. Did it go into any place special in the warehouse? No, he just said stack it all against the back wall. And you've just been stacking it up. You do know where it is and are aware of where it is in there, but... We mark it with a B or something. You've unloaded everything. There's just trash on the deck. And you're getting ready to head over to a well-deserved rest on the Hole in the Water Inn to hopefully meet up again with Rogan. Finnan was going to come and meet you guys as well to do final payment and such in about an hour. He was going to get his money. Maybe you should follow him. I just got finished <coughs> unloading half of this raft. He unloaded the other half. I don't know what you did. You should go follow <laughs> Well, I just don't exactly trust him. Do you think he'll actually come back to pay us? Um, and you're much better at those kinds of things than I. Getting paid, I agree. He's selling off the cat. Mm-hmm. 
what's <clears throat> to keep him around to return to pay us our gold? All right, all right. You do know that he is extremely cranky whenever he catches you following him. Where's, uh, where's the entrance to the warehouse? This is the office entrance. The main entrance is right here. Okay, that's okay. All right. Is he pretty savvy about that sort of thing? He doesn't seem to be. He doesn't seem to be savvy about anything, yet a couple of times that you followed him, he's managed to catch Okay, I'll, uh, I'm not trying to keep right up with him. I'll just see where he's going. Okay, he heads right into the office of the warehouse here and hangs out. He seems to be waiting for someone. Oh, okay. Can we see him from the upper deck? He's very tall. You cannot. There are no windows in the warehouse Can we office. see the door from the upper you deck? You can see the door. You can see the door to the office, but he could go into the warehouse and out some other door for all you know. You can pretty much see the majority of it from here. Well, if that's where he's just going to hang out. And we can all watch the door. There is another inn across the street from the warehouse. That inn is currently shut down. It has been shut down since the hole in the water pulled in. Uh, the owner of the hole in the water and the owner of that inn are friends. And part of the reason that the hole in the water is here is to give the other guy a vacation. He's oh. taken off. And is he spelunking the ruins? Or is he just well, no one's completely sure where he went. There's rumors that he's gone off to try to find the mother load. But that sorts of rumors seem to circulate about just about everybody who leaves for any particular amount of time. Well, do my following of him from the yeah. So you guys are heading over to the hole in the water? Yeah. Yeah. This next clip is talking about the Merchants Guild that is kind of moving into the area. And it's a far-ranging setup for other parts of the game that will come up later. So even though this isn't necessarily a sandbox game, I do try to have sort of events taking place off-camera that will become important later. And what that means is that there's things that get dropped, hints that get dropped that don't necessarily have to do with the exact quest that's happening at this moment, but that will be important later. And much like the old writer's adage that if you're going to shoot someone with a gun in Act 3, you better have had that gun on the mantelpiece in Act 1, it's much easier to understand when things happen that you have already sort of been exposed to. And from a character's point of view, this puts in the seed of doubt and somewhat of concern about this particular guild even though they have nothing to do with you at the moment. And listen in this clip, you're going to be hearing Renard talking. He is the proprietor of the Hole in the Water Inn. He is the one that sort of serves as Mr. Exposition for the adventure. And so I try to play him up and make it an interesting experience rather than just sort of fact dumping. But there is quite a bit of fact dumping going on. You can also hear my accent as I try to play Renard as it drifts in and out and in and out. People have been on edge. They say that this merchant cartel doesn't take kindly to other people finding gold in the bog, and that they follow you that's and not, take your gold. That's not their concern. They don't own the bog. Well, no one does, but this particular group of merchants is the same ones that are pressuring the king to step down and let them take over as oligarchical rulers of the city. Mm. I think the merchants might need to learn their place in the world. Well, there are many of the merchant council that are fine, fine people, and I, in fact, am related to several of them, but unfortunately, the current faction that's in power is not particularly ethical, let's just say. No but, offense meant, but what merchant is particularly ethical? Well, there's ethics and there are ethics, if you know what I mean. There's the ethics of a good deal and there are the ethics of making sure you still have customers to come back and buy your wares, if you know what I mean. And that would be wise of you, Mr. Merchant. That's right. So, but I am not a merchant. I am a businessman. There's a careful difference there. I have a place to run that people have to come back to. These merchants, they go from place to place. They have no alliances, no allegiances. This clip is 
really giving the hints and tips to the players about three different things that are going on currently. One of which is that there's really very few people in the Lost Village right now. So most people are out in the bog doing some treasure hunting. The next one is that there has been a raid on the outpost by Sahuagan and that people have been captured as well as killed. The third is a little bit of an ambiguous hint and maybe foreshadowing about something strange happening into the bog that the players wouldn't know about. Even though this does seem very Mr. Exposition-y here, this particular sequence, these characters don't get news really any other way than talking to people like this. So it's totally uh, within the context of the game for them to show up at the barkeep and get all the latest news. Uh, now, your friend Rogan has been waiting here for a time. He ah. has carefully nursed one bottle of ale for the last two and a half hours, and I was starting to get ready to kick him out. <laughs> but apparently you have shown up to chat with him. Well, pour him another as well. Of course, my lady. And uh, priest of the Queen of the Ravens, what can I get for you? <clears throat> uh, some of the wine will be fine. Indeed, indeed. Happy to serve. Things are a little slow here today. We had a bunch of people uh, head out early. Rumor has it that the water has gone down low enough that new deposits are being discovered, so there's not so many people in town today as hmm. they are. Any, uh, uh, anything happening here in the village while we've been gone? Well, the big news is not here in the village, but at the outpost. Oh. Three days ago, there was a huge Shakwagan uh, raid of the outpost, and many people were killed. And more frightening, a dozen people were taken prisoners. It's the first time the Sharkmen have ever taken a prisoner. We don't know what they have in mind. It's pretty disturbing. That's odd. Also, we've seen strange colors in the water. Again, the river runs down into the bog, but we've seen threads of red from the bog reaching up into the delta. Strange stuff indeed. Here's a little talk amongst yourselves player time where the character is really discussing their futures, what they're planning on doing, and their concern that the outpost has been invaded by Sahuaga. And they're also discussing their mentor, Kantos, and that they might want to go and visit him up at the outpost and see what's going on since they've heard something happened up there. This was a little trick on my part to help remind them that the outpost was out there, that Kantos was at the outpost, that Kantos was important to them, and that the Sahuagin raiding it might be something that they care about. So it's kind of a rumor, but at the same time, it's a reminder of in-character things to help them get that mindset, which will be important later. Also, you'll hear during this clip the music will cut in, and this is again a clip from the Drawn Lens Tower CD. As I discussed in our last episode, this is the clip that I had edited in with some stuff that you will hear, uh, not in this clip, but in the next. So is, is he really going to sell the boat? Looks like it. He had us unload all of it. And he had some people looking at the material, especially the big beams. So what are you guys going to do? I'm taking a break. way here, mm-hmm. one-way trip anyway. It's time I visited Cantos again. I was kind of thinking the same thing. Some people to talk to, if he's around. We were just speaking here with uh, Renar, and he he was saying that some Sawagan uh, invaded the outpost. He took prisoners, which is unusual. Killed a lot. They just hungry. crashed the outpost and ran off. Took some people. I don't have any details. Just say they took like twelve prisoners. 
Here's the setup for the first encounter of this adventure. You will hear, or perhaps maybe not hear, but sense the player's complete astonishment by the bells and kind of our speechlessness throughout that entire part. Um, We try to quickly regain our composure so that we can respond to the emergency. Then Tim goes on to describe the monsters that are attacking the town. I'm not going to pat myself too much on the back here, but I thought this worked out even better than I had hoped. Once again, I had taken the Happy Village music, then I overlaid on top of it the alarm bells, and then after that, I switched to the exciting battle music. And I had pre-recorded all of this into one big piece of music that I could just hit start on the iPod and play and not have to fiddle with switching music. The goal was that I could just be doing my normal thing without looking into music and thus not telegraph the fact that something was about to happen. And it worked incredibly well. This happens because we've been gaming together for quite some time. So he knew that we would have a lot of chit chat, a lot of discussion, a lot of catching up because we were bringing in another player character and we needed to bring him up to speed with what we had been doing. I had sent uh, Renard downstairs to go tap a keg for a while because they didn't really feel comfortable talking in his presence about things that had happened to the night with the homunculus and such. So as a result, he was just coming back. What I didn't know was how long it was going to take for them to react to the alarm bells. So I kind of made the alarm bells section of the music piece a little long, and I kind of acknowledged that fact halfway through here, as you'll hear. The last thing is I want you to listen for the fact that they make sure they finish their beers before they go address the fact that people are dying in the village. I did not work finish my beer. I said I was going to follow him right away. Renar runs upstairs. He's like, oh, I had a terrible time tapping that keg. The bung was all messed up. Is him? Yeah. So, uh, so Renar, it looks like... Whoa. The alarm bells. You recognize these bells? Yeah, this is the town alarm. They only ring these when something's coming out of the box. We better get down there. There's nobody else to man it. And you hear All some right. screams coming from the town square, and the music stops, and he grabs his sword off the wall and runs down towards the docks. I guess I'll follow him. He's doing. Let's drink up and follow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I swipe off the box. Boy, whoever's ringing that alarm bell is in a panic because they're just keep wanging it and wanging it. And suddenly you hear uh, a scream coming down the... Uh, path between the buildings here toward you, and you see one of the uh, local miners, a little halfling, is running, screaming down the street, and chasing him is a vicious pack of little lizards. And although the miniature there is just one lizard, there's an entire, probably half dozen of them, and they're snarling and chomping, and they have huge, like, like seven-inch lungs. Yeah, it's like chihuahuas, but <laughs> big old, like, six-inch teeth. You barely close their mouths, they're so huge. That ain't natural. And this pack of vicious uh, lizards comes chasing after him, and he's screaming, And you see down the passage between the buildings, there's two uh, other people who are being devoured by a couple of these little drakes that have jumped out and just they're they're shredding and the blood spraying all over the buildings. All right, roll initiative. We have a little 3.5 edition to 4.0 edition terminology discussion in this short clip talking about athletics versus acrobatics. The one thing that we still can't seem to get through our heads at this point, although we're doing a little better in our more recent sessions, is the changes in the skill names for things, as you'll hear. It's kind of confusing for us old folks. How easy is it to get on top of the office to the warehouse there? Uh, it will be a DC-15 climb check. I think I can do that. 
know, it will be DC 15 athletics check. That's what I meant. <laughs> We're acrobatics. <laughs> yes, if you want to flip on top. <laughs> this clip really has only two things you need to take home. Cleavage and absurdly heavy dice. Yes, you can't imagine how heavy these dice are that Wick is about to roll. They are made of solid metal, and he's rolling them on a piece of foam core that I have the map set up on. You can't hear the kind of kathunk kathunk you would on a wooden table, but the thud you hear doesn't even come close to the shaking of the table that occurred when they hit. And the best part? I think he rolled a seven. Yeah, and that was the highest number he rolled for the next two hours on those dice. Did he agree to change them for some other dice? Oh no, he'd spent far too much on the big old dice. Now this is, this represents a group, you said. That is correct, it is a swarm. Okay. I will cleave at it. Okay. Cleavage. <laughs> I do love a good cleavage. <laughs> Who doesn't? Dang, that thing is bumpy. It's mysterious, Boom! 26. This clip is really describing the second part of this entire encounter. The first encounter, or part of the encounter, is with the drakes that are attacking the poor little halfling miner. But the second part is when the Sahuagin come sneaking up onto the rafts and are trying to capture Renar and loot some of his things. The exciting part about this section of the encounter is that they are breaking into something on the raft. And so the characters start to wonder, what is it they're looking for? In addition to breaking into the raft and looting it while they're off dealing with the uh, lizard menace, they're also trying to capture Renar. And I rolled a whole bunch of really terrible rolls right in front of everybody um, in terms of them trying to throw the net at him. Now, I had no intention of them actually capturing Renar, but if they had and they had taken him away, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. He would have broken out later and come back. Now, you have to understand that some of the characters did stay on the raft, but two were on the dock. So it was an interesting sort of splitting the party thing that happened. I know you're not supposed to split the party, but it did work out well in this case. The Sahuagin runs up here, and you hear something smashing. That would be my ale. I tried. Actually, your ale. My wine. So this guy pulls himself up out of the water, and he has a net, and he throws the net over to his buddy, and they throw the net at Renar. With limited success. With limited success. However, the net is very large, and Renar is somewhat snagged in it. He's not fully caught, but he's not fully free either. The party in this clip gets to do a little inventory control, trying to figure out who has what, when they have it, and who is going to deal with whatever is going on so that they cannot get the treasure that is oh so important to us. They have noticed that the Sahawagan keep running to the raft trying to get something, but they don't know what it could be. So they try to figure out, okay, well, are they after this or are they after that? Well, okay, so they're after the bar. Hey, wait, our beer is there. All right, I'll take a shot towards the other guy then. 20. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that he hits. <laughs> All right. For nine you points. Thump into him. Nine. He drops. Nine points. <laughs> he does not appear to be moving any longer. Okay. Oh. Attempt to net the little guy in. No. He looks up and he uh, sees what's going on. He's going to run. I also must go upstairs. Yep. He's going the to run. The story upstairs dictates as well. I must get this thing. Box. I have the box. You you grab the box. I have the coin. They have the bar. <laughs> <laughs> They're causing damage. the beer. All right, he runs up and he starts rooting among his dead friends looking for something. Root, root. Root. Root, root. 
Dim is really setting this up so that the party gets to see where this additional treasure of Renard's is and then some of our reactions to it. So the Sharkmen have broken into something and spilled it out all over the deck and Jeff's character Seth has gone up there to check it out and see what's going on and then of course Dan does not miss the opportunity for a horrendous pun. Onto the deck, I assume, the upper deck. Right, you see three of these dead shark men. Uh, they're all carrying pouches and such. Behind the central bar area, there's one of the many kegs of ale. One of them has been smashed through, and you see all sorts of gold and glittering stuff in there. And Ooh. half of it's been pulled out onto the floor. Okay, a golden broom. <laughs> <laughs> So listen for some really atrocious jokes in the next clip as well. And we go through a discussion for the player's sake to find out why our area, well, not our area of effect, because that would have done it, but our melee attacks were not affecting the swarm all so much. And we don't necessarily have these sorts of meta discussions that often, but since this is all very new to us in terms of fourth edition, I wanted to make it clear to the characters that it wasn't just a matter of the fact that they couldn't roll over a five on their enormous dice, but that there was actually something going on in terms of the rules. Some of us were rolling quite well. Yes, in fact, I think Dan single-handedly took out all of them with his crossbow. Not all of them. Yes. Uh, Wick's character did finish off the uh, Needlefang Drake Swarm eventually by himself, as you will hear. The last of these tiny lizards collapses to the ground in a bloody heap. <laughs> well done, sir, well done. So the Needlefang Drake Swarm, also I would call the deadly swarm of chihuahuas. <laughs> Yeah, with big teeth. So the, the trick is that they resist half from melee range, right? So you guys are only doing half damage to them. Oh. Uh, but they are vulnerable five against close and area attacks. So even scorching burst, yeah. you take them out in like two rounds. I but, don't have any area attacks. Oh, yes, I'll do that when I planned it. So. Just when I eat beans. Huh? In this clip, the other shoe finally falls, and we find out the connection between the homunculus from the prior part and the Sahuagin, in that both sets had a copper rod with them. So Renar runs up the ladder behind Seth, desperate to see what's going on. He's like, did they get it? Did they get it? Well, they found it. Oh, they found the cache. How did they even find it? How did they even get through there? I can't believe it. They knew what they were looking for. Uh, so he starts putting stuff back into the keg. I will start examining the dark colored one was waving something about. Mm -hmm. What was he waving about? He was waving a six inch long copper rod. Uh, I will pick it up and examine it closely. All right, it looks quite similar to the one that you saw the other night that the homunculus was carrying. Yes. Like a salt shaker. Also, they are all wearing pouches that are, have various things in them and such. If I make an arc arcana check, can I figure out what it might be even more than my sister? Now that you actually can touch it, sure. Yes. Now we get to see some of the aftermath of both attacks, and the players find out about kind of a setup on the swarm coming into the village with a fire coming out from behind. The other creatures down the way, are they still eating? Uh, the rest of the villagers have come up. And, okay. You know, since they're kind of individual guys, they had no problem taking them out. So I assume that Lou, right? Yeah. Is yeah, Lou's gone. Expired. And uh, someone comes down, oh, Lou, Lou. Well, then we'll go check on the other people that are hurt. One of them seems to be okay. They had a uh, barrel lid that they were using to fend this thing off. But unfortunately, the other one is also. Okay. They came out of nowhere. They've never seen them come out of the bog, and there was a fire in the bog right behind them when they came out. It was really strange. I think we moved to a high point on the roof I'm on. Just look out over the bog, see if there's any. Uh... You see a tendril of smoke coming from the street that leads from the square into the bog. 
with thirty. Sharpman with curly black mustache was go and skull guy. Well, not that you can see, although you can certainly imagine. The Sharpman that was. He's still floating. We're fish him out. He is on a side. Continuing aftermath next. This is part one of our cliffhanger where they discover that something has happened to their mentor. So with Rogan's help, you easily pull him up onto the Blackwater Cat. You search him and find something very strange in his pouch. You find an eye patch. An eye patch? Does this eye patch look familiar? It has a coin stone into the back of it. Peace. Fellas, we've got a problem. So Tim has finally allowed the characters to follow the Raftmaster. One of us goes in, that would be Oshkin, our rogue, and finds a horrible sight. This is continuing the aftermath of the battle. They are cleaning up all the damage and such, and then they suddenly ask themselves, Hey, I wonder what happened to the Raftmaster and our pay. So they go into the warehouse and find him. Now, this is normally where I would end the session. We were fortunate enough this time to be able to continue on past this point. So I let Dan do some investigation and, and that sort of thing, but we're closing in on it. I would also like you to pay attention to the music in this clip by Jeremy Soule and how it underscores the pregnant silence. You sneak into the warehouse and hanging from the beams by his neck with a thick rope is finished. He hung himself? Any of an else in here? Nope. Sneak up to him. Is there a chair uh, underneath of him? (laughs) There are a bunch of boxes. Any wounds that might suggest he had help? Uh, Make a healing chair. (laughs) You can do it. Must I? (laughs) 20 is Almost. 10? (laughs) (laughs) Not that you immediately see, but without getting him down and having better light, it's quite dim here in the warehouse. You do see footprints on top of the same uh, crate that you're standing on to get up the side and look at it. Any other doors open here? Uh, Not that you can see. Our PCs now let our NPC in on the fact that his friend Kantos has been captured by the Sahuagin. Yes, and you'll see the confusion that happens during these early sessions with naming things. And I've gotten some ribbing from some people about the fact that I have all of these sort of D&D-esque names. You know, the Raftmaster, the Innkeeper. Certainly makes it easier to keep track. Yes, it actually makes it considerably easier to keep track of. And there's nothing more frustrating than, as you'll hear in the next clip, you know, someone in character calling out some NPC's name and completely botching it. Finn. Finn? Just Finn is hanging by his neck. Sorry. Um. Ah, the first session of the names. (laughs) Even I have blown at least once. Renar. Renar. Oh, Rogan, what's up? Can you help me get these freaking shark men off my deck? I'm down here. What's up? He's sliding down ladder. As soon as he goes down, I open up the red velvet case. Oh, you you pull open the (laughs) the barrel again? He didn't have time to put it all the way, I'm sure. No, I mean, he's trying to piece the lid back. Yes, I will. uh, Okay. I can always throw a wallet cable from again. Oh, no. No, 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 no. (laughs) When When I heard they did a raid on the... The outpost. I, I didn't think that they possibly could have gotten Kantos. That's that's not possible. He's there's no way he let himself get captured. Unless they knocked him out. That's terrible. So in this clip, you get to hear the warlock walking in on the dwarf to find out what's going on and why he hasn't come out of the warehouse with Finnan and their pay. Upon which she sees him on top of a 
bunch of crates with the hanging finnan, which leads to an interesting discussion regarding the rogue's character. This is one of those where I could get away with the narration you're about to hear because I know how Dan role plays and he's extremely good at rolling with the punches in terms of sort of improving a scene and making it more interesting. So when I narrate the scene, I basically narrate it as he did it. This is what you see. This is what you see. It's to all intents and purposes. When you walk in, it looks like he just killed this guy. Mind you, we already heard at this point everything that had happened with Oshkin. So we knew that Oshkin didn't do it, but you have to, as a player, really look at, you don't know that part. Only the player knows that part. So it made for a much more interesting role-playing scene when I set it up the way I did with the narration than if I just said, okay, you walk in and he's you know examining the dead body. You hear some commotion from the warehouse. <laughs> commotion as in... <laughs> Dwarf swinging from a halfling. Wee! <laughs> <laughs> it's like a, a halfling pinata. Wee! I'll, I'll peek in there. All right. You see uh, Ashken on top. He appears to have hung uh, your former wrath master and thrown him off some crates. He's now swinging free. Come, and you, come you, you see uh, Ashken standing nearby, kind of wiping his hands. Go I will go through his pockets and want to see. If, <laughs> see, he's going through his pockets. Crate that we that the uh, other coin was in that we unloaded into this warehouse. Yes. Do I see that box? Is that crate open? Perception check. Uh, in oh. his pockets, you, you find a silver key. Better. Eighteen. Okay. You find a silver key and you find one hundred and twenty gold. Does that pay us? Yeah, that's your payroll. Good riddance. Jeff. Hmm. Today's date. Today's date? I didn't do it. Is this... Uh, 14. What do you mean you didn't do it? I, I didn't do it. You found him like that? Yes. Do you think somebody else did it, or do you think he was just... Well, look, does this look like my work? Does this look like something I have? Well, it looks a little crude for your work. Thank you. Thank you for noticing. Uh, let's get here before the uh, blame us. Because I didn't do it. Come on. Oh. Uh, I'm going to go insight. ahead and insight that. <laughs> or 12. Mm, well, I mean, you're inclined to believe him, but it is Oshkan. He's not necessarily known for being a murderer, but no one really liked him, so... <laughs> it's good riddance, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, you're not inclined to believe him, but you're also not inclined to care. I'm passing on the way out, I'll, I'll kind of put a hand on your shoulder and I'll point to where the crate we unloaded was. It's not there. What do you mean it's not there? The crate's missing. Yeah, you see a whole stack of all the crates that you brought off, and the one that had originally contained the box of the coin has well, been marked with surgically Jenga removed from the pile. Jenga removed. We're, we're now officially a target. Well, that's it for our session this time. The raft master is gone, the mentor has been captured, and they've got a new friend in Renar and they're blowing the water in. So if you have any questions or comments on this session of Actual Play, please drop us a line at the forums at SpookyOuthouse.com. Thanks for listening. Till later. You've been listening to Return to Northmore, a podcast released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license by Tim White and Kim Stone. Our theme music is Charge of the Valiant from Dronalyn's Tower, Legends of Kithalan Volume 1, Tales of the Long Forgotten, used by permission of its composer, David Allen Young. Find out more about their fantastic gaming music at dronalyn.com. Visit us and many other fine podcasts at spookyouthouse.com. <laughs>